Thank you, LJ. Good job. Good morning. Well, he is risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I, too, just want to say thank you for joining us for our very special Easter service this morning, that you're able to come out. And I'm going to just basically repeat what LJ said. If you're able to come back after the end of second service, we're going to have a great luncheon together and just uh, just a good time of fellowship. One of the many things I think our church is, is really good at, uh, it's at eating. And uh, we do really good at food, right? So uh, our nickname is Calorie Chapel. So welcome to Calorie Chapel. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in. This past Friday night, we had such a great time uh, of worship and just remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we were in the Gospel of Luke for our Good Friday night service. If you missed it and uh, you'd like to check it out, it is online. We do have the archive in the stream. And so invite you to you know, go look at that later. Uh, and the message that we gave on Friday night was entitled, What Does the Cross Mean? For our time this morning, as we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to be still in the Gospel of Luke, just the next chapter. So it's Luke chapter 24. If you uh, have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and uh, you'd like to borrow one, all you have to do is raise your hand real high, and the ushers will be happy to let you borrow a Bible, and so you can follow along. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. And in a similar way, I entitled our message, What Does the Empty Tomb Mean? And so again, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8, what does the empty tomb mean? If you are there, and I'm turning there now, but I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud from my Bible, and you can follow along in yours. Luke chapter 24. This gospel is written by the good doctor, Dr. Luke, inspired of God's spirit. We read, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. But when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid, the ladies were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth. These two men speak to them and say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? And that he said, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. In verse 8 it says, and they remembered his words. We'll pause here as we remember his words. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this very special day that we can gather together. Lord, so much chaos and confusion in the world. So many people are unsettled. Lord, we thank you that we can come here to your house to experience your peace and your calm. Lord, with all of the fake news and twists and lies that we're exposed to all the time, it's hard to know what or who to believe and trust. Father, we thank you, though, that we have the truth of the gospel, of the scriptures, your spirit that leads us and guides us to your truth, Lord. Father, I thank you for every person here and those who are watching online. We ask for your blessing upon the teaching of your word. Lord, help us to know your grace, forgiveness, life abundant and life eternal, provided through faith, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who have yet to surrender their life to you, may today be the day that they do that, that they would yield to your call. Lord, help me to speak clearly, to represent your heart. Lord, help Yumi as she's translating into Japanese right now. Lord, we trust 
that you will not leave us the same as we first came in. And we ask and pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you take a moment and say hello to somebody and then you can have a seat. Two real quick things. Uh, one is the team here made this incredible wall downstairs as you came up the stairs right off to the right-hand side. Uh, and just designed that just for pictures. And so hopefully you'll take advantage of that, especially that you came for first service. Um, and so please do that. And also, secondly, just to uh, recap what I kind of shouted from the back as LJ was giving announcements with our Connect groups. Uh, with the financial peace class. Some of you know Dave Ramsey and his ministry and uh, really just a biblical, practical way of, of stewarding you know, God's resources. And uh, there, there's usually a price tag that's associated with the membership. It, it has all kinds of resources. It's not just for that class. There's, it unlocks basically you know, a year's worth of incredible resources and budgets and templates and these things. But uh, as we we're as was coming up, John shared with me that that ministry gifted us uh, ten free memberships for a year, which is tremendous. Um, I think normally they're about 130 bucks or 100 dollars. So, you know that that's a big gift. So, it's the first ten. So you guys are first service. That's your blessing for coming early. <laughs> you get to know. Uh, if you don't know who John Hudson is, actually sit in the back. John, you want to wave real quick? I embarrass you. Go find him in the striped shirt. Or just find me, and then I'll point you to him, and uh, we'll get you signed up, okay? So, anyways, uh, blessed to be with you this morning. The famous philosopher Plato, he defined man as a being in search of a meaning. A being in search of meaning. And, and I think it's fair to say that that's a pretty good descriptor, that, that we like to know there is meaning to our lives, <laughs> that our lives mean something. I, I think that we like to find meaning in our lives, in the things that we do, in the endeavors that we have. And, and I really believe that's an, an extension of just the, the nature that God has given all of us as we're created in his image, that there's a, there's a curiosity that we have, there's an inquisitiveness that we have. I think that's what made Google's, Google so popular, why we use it. Like we generally like to know, okay, what's the point of this? And what's the purpose of this? And sometimes we, we can find meaning in things that, that just are kind of fun, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it. You know, people, uh, we've, we've had a number of babies born uh, this past couple weeks, um, I think the last count that we had was eight babies thus far this year, and we have 12 more on our list uh, that are coming. So the nursery ministry, we need some help. Um, it's exciting. But you know, when you, if you're having a baby, and we're praying for those of you who are wanting to have a baby, that God will bless you, uh, you usually look for, for names. You're trying to figure out names. And sometimes in that, you're looking at what does this name mean? Right? There are some names you're like, we're not going to use that name because that's your spouse's ex, and you know, so... That's not even on the list at all, right? But names have meaning, and most of us know the meaning of our names. I think my parents named me well. My first name's Richard, which means strong, and my middle name's Alan, it means handsome. And so my, parent, my parents were prophets, so not uh, Japanese names, a lot of them, especially the kanji, they themselves, just the characters, usually have kind of a second layer of meaning, and uh, so it's often fun to study those kanjis. Those of you who are in marketing and design, you know that colors, a lot of people say colors have meaning, right? That generally when you see red, it represents power or love. Uh, when you see blue, it, you know, it means peace or perhaps even you know, sadness. Uh, people say your dreams have meaning. In certain dreams, so you dream that maybe your teeth are falling out and they say, oh, if you have that dream, that means there's some big change that's going to come your way. Um, my wife and my daughter have crazy dreams, like 
often, very vivid, movie-like. The other day she dreamt like these tornadoes were coming and, um, and I'm like, I, you know what that means? It means you ate pizza too late at night. That's what that, that's, that's the interpretation of that dream. You know, people say your handwriting means something. That reveals something about you. The way that you, you know, uh, dot your I's or cross your T's or the little flares that you might have in your, your handwriting. And that if you write with big bubbly letters, you know what that means? It means you dream too much. That's what that means. Right? So. Then there are those who I think attach way too much meaning to things. And it spills over into what I think is just, it's superstitious. People say, oh, if you, uh, I think it's an, maybe an Asian culture thing. If you have itchy hands, do you know what that means? What does it mean? Money. You're going to get money, right? I think it just means you need some lotion. But to others, like, oh, you're going to get some money. And they, uh, some think if you have a mole in your face, if it's on the left side, it means you're shy. On the right side, it means you're kind of an uh, outgoing person. If you have a mole in the center somewhere, it means you're wise. If you have no mole at all, it means you need to go to the beach more. That's what that means. That's the end. And then superstitious things like, oh, your horoscope, when you were born, the month, or the Chinese zodiac, the year, it's the year of the tiger, it, your blood type, right? It, it, you know, people, people swear that those things have meaning. It all means something. And the list goes on and on. And again, I, I think it's safe to say that we, we, we like and can appreciate, maybe even be entertained a little bit when things have meaning. We like to know there's a reason for things, there's a reason for events that have happened. And of course, it all draws us to this day. Uh, this day has meaning. What we are remembering and what we're celebrating, this particular event, the fact that Jesus was born, the fact that he lived without sin, the fact that he died on a cross for you and for me, was placed in a tomb, and the fact that three days later he rose from the grave, that the tomb is empty. And what does it mean then? And so today as we're looking in Luke 24, we're going to look at what did it mean for uh, these ladies and for the disciples here, but of course it also means something for us today. And what does the empty tomb mean for us? And so I pray and hope that as we walk through these verses that we will uh, leave with an answer. That wouldn't be just uh, head knowledge that we gain, but really that we'll, our hearts will be changed. And that's my prayer for our time. So draw your attention back to verse 1. Verse 1, we read, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. Very early before the sun came up on a Sunday morning, some 2,000 years ago, several women would make their way to this garden tomb site where their beloved friend, a teacher, their rabbi, was buried. And most of you know that for the people in our text here, these ladies, the past three days, the past 72 hours, has been a, a horrible nightmare. One day Jesus was with them, teaching them, exciting things were happening. Miracles were taking place. People were being healed. There, there was a lot of anticipation and excitement in the air that there's big changes were coming, and it was great. High hopes, exuberant expectations for the future. And just like that, all of it came crashing down in a horrific turn of events. And it happened suddenly. Jesus was arrested. He was, well, falsely arrested, falsely tried, uh, beaten undeservedly, then crucified. He died, and then he was quickly buried. And so everything that they were hoping for, that they were thinking about, it just, it just shattered in, in a million pieces. And just like that, their life just changed. 
Gang, how, how many of you know the, that tragedy and, and death, it, they don't care, it doesn't care about your plans. <laughs> it, do, it doesn't care what hope you have for next month or next year at all. And none of us are immune to such things. I mean, life can take a drastic, sudden turn. It's a matter of a phone call. It's a matter of a conversation. It's one decision. In a matter of a moment, we can find ourselves in uncharted places. That's where these ladies found themselves. And for them, what, what could be done? What could they do? Well, they did what they only knew what they could do. They wanted to honor the body of their beloved friend. And so they came as they're able. First thing in the morning, after the Sabbath time, when they're able to get up and get going, and they had gathered these spices, and that was the Jewish custom. They want to prepare the body of Jesus for a proper burial to honor the body. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, but the other Gospels tell us that the ladies were worried a little bit about how they were going to get to the body because they knew it was sealed. They knew there was a Roman soldier there guarding it. And so what happens is we read, but when they get there, verse 2 and 3, when they arrive, they found that the stone had already been rolled away from the tomb. That all they're worrying about, God had already taken care of, and so they go in, And surprise, surprise, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so we read really simply, when they get there, the thing that they're worried about is gone. That stone has already been rolled away, allowed them to go in, and perhaps even to their greater surprise, they're surprised that the stone has moved, but to their greater surprise, they get there and uh, where's the body? They're fully expecting to see and honor this, you know, the, the body of Jesus. Perhaps you've, you've heard it said that God, God removed that stone, not really for Jesus to be able to get out, but for them to come in. I think next week we're going to, I think, I, next week we're going to continue really in the narrative and look at basically what happened the rest of the day, and we're starting a new series in the book of James in the beginning of May. And I do hope that you're able to stay and join us and be a part of that. But later on, as Jesus raises from the dead, we will see that he, he walks through a wall. He comes, you know, supernatural, uh, miraculous, his resurrected body, he, the door is locked and he shows up. And so it wasn't that the stone was rolled away so Jesus could get out, but the, the ladies could get in. Last Sunday, if you're with us, we talked about just this curious fact that, that Jesus had prepared everything for the Palm Sunday event. In perfect harmony with the prophecies, this day that was predicted, the way it was going to happen that Jesus was going to ride down the Mount of Olives on the back of a donkey, present himself as king. And how he set all of that in motion. And he tells the disciples, just go to the other town and it's already prepared for you. And if anyone gives you any you know, beef, any issue, then you can just say, hey, the Lord needs it and it's all going to work out. And it did. In fact, just a couple of days prior to this, he had, uh, we mentioned before, he, he sends the disciples to go find a guy carrying water and they're going to go to the upper room and the Lord says, everything's prepared. Just we're going to prepare for the Passover. And the Lord, we, we made mention how the Lord prepared all these things. And once again, we find that God has prepared, prepared a way for these ladies to come and see that the tomb is empty. <laughs> he took care of it. King, I, I hope that you know that God loves you. And God has prepared everything that you need to know that the tomb is empty, to know that Jesus is alive. God has prepared everything that we would just realize and see this is true and our Savior is alive. 
Well, what happens? They make their discovery, we read, and it happened as they're there. They're, uh, Luke says they're greatly perplexed about this. Other translations just say they're perplexed. They're, the idea is they, they're confused. They're, they're seeing this, but they're not processing and all. They didn't really know what to make of it. They didn't know what to think. They're, imagine just it created a, a million questions in their mind. What happened here? That word perplexed or greatly perplexed, it means to be without resources or it means to be lost. You ever find yourself in a situation where uh, all of a sudden something happens and, and it seems just to overwhelm even your ability to reason? Like you're just stuck for a moment trying to figure out like what, what's going on here? Like you're, you're just processing the environment and the scene and, uh, and you, you're finding, you know, just you can't even find a bearing that, that's what's happening here. Or you know that initial feeling? Maybe it's not quite panic, but it's, it's borderline to panic when you realize that you're lost. You've been in a situation where you just got on the wrong road, the wrong street, wherever, or, and all of a sudden you, you take a wrong turn and then you're, you're like, whoa, where am I? Maybe Google Maps took you down this dead end like it was playing a trick on you. One time, uh, Christy and I, we were driving on the East Coast of the United States, and uh, this is before Google Maps, and um, we, we got off the wrong exit in a scary part of Trenton, New Jersey. And it was like out of the movies. There was like a car on blocks and a big trash can, the fire, and... We're like, whoa, I don't, think, I don't think this is the right exit. You know? A little bit of panic set in. You know, one of the blessings of living here in Okinawa is that if you really ever get lost, you're just in the middle of a sugarcane field. There's a vending machine right there. You, know? <laughs> you can survive till they come find you. you know? It's really not that bad. <laughs> Well, safe to say these, these ladies are confused because they, they, what they find is not at all what they're expecting to find. They're, uh, they're expecting to find the tomb closed. They're expecting to find Jesus, his body, his lifeless body in that tomb, uh, and yet it's not there. And so how did the door open? Where's the body? Who took him? Uh, what's going on? Again, it means they don't know what's happening. They didn't understand what the empty tomb meant in that moment. And, and as they're there, as they're standing perplexed and confused, now we see, oh, there, there, there's two. They're not alone. <laughs> there are two other figures there. The, Luke calls them two men. You know, the, the other Gospels will identify them as angels. That there are two angels standing there in the form of men. And they then address, they step into the scene and they engage these ladies uh, with something very important. And we read their response in verse 5, that then as they were afraid, so they went from greatly perplexed to greatly af- afraid, they, they fall down, the idea is they bow their faces to the ground, they're just cowering, they don't, they don't know what to, how to respond. And the angels... We're not really told their reaction, but based upon what they say, remember how he spoke to you? It seems the angels were surprised by the women being surprised. (laughs) Because the angels knew what Jesus had said regarding his own resurrection. They quote him. They knew that the women had also heard this message before. They're just repeating back to them the thing that they have already learned, that they've already heard. And so here the angels ask them a very important question. And it's one over the many years of celebrating Easter. It just, it just resounds in my own heart. And it's a very poignant question, very probing. Why are you seeking the living? Why do you seek the living? Why do you seek life among the dead? That is a question that could be rephrased. Why are you here? What were you expecting to find? 
Why, why did you come today? This is a question we, we all have to ask ourselves, one form of another. And we all have to answer that question in one form or another. What are we seeking after in our life? What kind of life are we seeking? What, 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 what kind of meaning are we trying to look for? Hope or purpose? Direction? Answers to questions we have. What's the truth? For many years of my life, that was my question. I just want to know what's true. Like some of you, I, I was grateful. I, I grew up in a kind of a traditional, for a couple years before my parents' divorce, traditional faith background. Went to Catholic mass and went to Catholic school as a younger kid. But as I got older, I saw these questions like, what, what is life about and what is truth and what's my purpose? What's real? This group believes this and that group believes that. And I, I just didn't, I wanted to know. I didn't know, but I wanted to know. And people often look for meaning. And I'd say they look for it in and from the wrong things, in and, in and from the wrong places. Because often for us, we get, our, we get our cues from the world. We're just looking at what the world's chasing after. Like, okay, maybe that's, that's what we, if that's the way the world's going, then maybe that's the way I need to go. And the world's ways often are uh, work hard, party hard. Pursuit, fame, and fortune. If you get those things, you've arrived. Notoriety and money and things. Now, granted, some do look to religious traditions or, or spiritual guides. I mentioned earlier, you know, some even look to horoscopes and zodiacs and these kind of things. Again, I, I, I know I, I did. I did for many years. Kind of tried all of those things. And like many of you, I found the same thing. I found like it just left me empty, perhaps even more empty than when I first began that journey. Tried to be good and tried to live good. <coughs> Donated to you know, the Wildlife Foundation. When I did my taxes, I checked, yeah, I'll give a dollar of my money, you know. Did my good deed for the year. Lived by this idea, I just don't, I, you know, I won't do any harm to other people. But I still wanted to know what, what's real, what, what's true. And I have discovered, as you have, and I'd say many others have too, in the pursuit, in the pursuits of this world and what this world offers us, uh, you find no true meaning. There is no true substance. It's empty substitutes. It's pursuits that promise big, but they deliver flat. I mean, a couple weeks ago, made some of the news uh, in the midst of a lot of other news. We continue to pray for Ukraine. Uh, that's still happening. It's horrible. But in the news, uh, this drummer for this band called the Foo Fighters. His name's Taylor Hawkins. And he was found dead in his hotel room in Columbia. And it was right before this big concert they were going to do there. So he was there with the band and they are going to perform. They did an autopsy. They found 10 different... Um, substances, narcotics, various forms of drugs, opioids, uh, marijuana, and other drugs in his system. He was 50 years old. That's young, right? Amen? That's young. <laughs> He's 50 years old. He got paid to play music professionally. His net worth was about $50 million dollars. I didn't realize there's that much money in drumming. Yeah. And the article I read said he's considered to be one of the best drummers of his era. It's just so sad. 
think, here's a guy who wasn't done with life, but you know, he's 50 years old. So he's been around. He has a lot of experience. He has money. He has fame. He's at the top of his game if he's considered one of the best in his field. And yet, with all of that going on in his life, it makes me curious, like, what, what else then is missing that he would then fill his body with 10 different types of drugs? Again, I don't know, and I can't, we can't, can't know the circumstances. I'm only just reading from an article, but it seems to me that Man, it seemed like maybe something, he's seeking something that all those other things that he had didn't fulfill him, didn't satisfy him. Something's still missing. There's some void that he's trying to fill in his heart and his life. So he's trying these other things. And it ultimately brought him death. Obviously, he wasn't planning for that. You know, we, we hear news like that so often, I think sometimes it doesn't even shock us anymore. And again, it was one of the things as a younger man that I began to see and watch the news and celebrity, actress, you know, actors, actresses, musicians, sports celebrities who, in a very similar way. And I used to think, what would cause a person who has fame, who has fortune, has popularity, influence, all these things to want to want to pursue what's lacking in their life. Because it seems to me there must be something that's lacking then. I, I, I know the answer now. It's Jesus. Without Jesus, that, that's what we all do. We will pursue things to try to fill a void that only Christ can fill. And only... Christ can fill the void that you have. Maybe I'll frame it as a question. What, what have you been chasing after? What, what have you been trying to pursue the, to fill meaning or to find meaning in your life or for your life? Again, what the world offers, it, it's like those, it's like those um, hollowed, chocolate bunnies we get in our, you know. Now, I, you heard me say over the years, I'm not a discriminator of chocolate. I, I'll eat any form of it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I'll eat it. But I remember, like, you know, as a kid, I'd get them all excited, peel off the aluminum foil and take a bite, and it just all kind of crumbles inside, right? It's not even the cream-filled ones. My parents were too cheap. For, you know. <laughs> My friends are like, well, I got marshmallow. I got nothing. I got nothing here, you know? That that's the world's pursuits. You take a bite and it just cr- the whole thing collapses. Only Christ can fill the void in our hearts, and the empty tomb reminds us of that. Here, these angels are there to guide and speak. And why, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? They ask, and then they just declare truth. He's not here. <laughs> He's not here. Jesus. It's not here, but he is alive. He is risen. He is risen. And then they add, remember though, remember he told you this. Remember he spoke to you these words when he was with you in Galilee at another season of your life that you were exposed to this truth. And he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And guess what? On the third day he would rise again. Now, these angels are, as God had sent them, they're, they're messengers. And this was their message. Jesus is not here. He is alive. He's risen. And it was a great message. It's a message we've repeated for the last 2,000 years. It's a message of comfort. It's a message of victory. It's a message of clarity in the midst of confusion. They, they remind this, these ladies of what Jesus had said. Now, he himself foretold his own death. He himself declared his own resurrection. 
where Jesus would say, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the power and the authority to raise it back up again. He would say, you destroy this body in three days, I'm going to raise it back up. Remember the religious leaders are confused. They, they thought he was talking about the temple. Oh, and just in case, that's why they stationed that Roman soldier there. No one else has done that. Declared their own death, the way they're going to die, and that they're going to come back to life again. See, for some of you this morning, it's good news, but it's good news you've heard before. It's remember what you've learned before. Remember what you've been taught. Remember it's true. Wherever you might have been, wherever you and I have maybe wandered off for a season, and for whatever reason the Lord's brought you here today, or you're watching online, God would say, hey, remember what I told you? I love you and died for you, and I rose again for you to give you life. Now think about something with me real quick. Why did, why did God send these angels? Right? Why not just leave the tomb empty? Why not just let them figure it out on their own? They get there, they'll see like, oh, where's Jesus? Maybe as they process, no, duh, he said. Why send these angels? I submit to you that God wanted for them to know for sure, without any shadow of a doubt, what was true. What was true? And to stir in them their memory of what they've forgotten. And that's the grace of our God. He still does that. He still does that. He sends people into your life and into my life to be messengers, if you will, to remind us of what's true, to remind us of the goodness of God and the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, and that Jesus is alive, and that your sins are forgiven, and that you can receive him as your Lord and Savior, or come back to him if that's your case for this morning. And maybe for some of us, we, we, maybe for some of you, you, you first need to see the reality of your own emptiness. Then you realize the meaning of the empty tomb. To first realize that, that we're, we're sinners. The emptiness of a life trying to pursue the worldly things and that it only brings emptiness. It only brings brokenness. Eventually, it's going to bring death. The Bible says that the wages, the product of our sin, it's death. Spiritual death, and eventually physical death. The Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy, who loves you, he put all of this in motion, and God provided a way for you and for me to come out of then confusion, that we wouldn't stand greatly perplexed trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life? What, what's the meaning of all of this? No, there's a message of hope. There's a message of truth that God loves you and Jesus Christ is alive and you can find meaning today. See, what did it mean for them? It meant simply Jesus Christ was alive, that what he said he was going to do, and who he said he was, was true. To die on the cross was the payment for our sins, and the empty tomb, if you will, is the receipt. God accepted payment. You've been redeemed. You've been atoned for. All your sins and mine paid for. Past, present, and future we talked about on, on Friday night. And it is the one truth that, that separates Christianity, our following Jesus apart from every other belief system in the world. There have been other men who, and other people who have claimed to be deity. There have other people who have died. There have other people who have taught good morals. They've lived and they've died, and I don't mean to be crass, but they've stayed dead. 
Every founder of every other religion existed, died, and is still dead. Only Christ, only Jesus lived and died and rose again. Right? And the Bible tells us that if that didn't happen, that if Jesus simply lived and then died, then it makes him a liar. Because he said, I'm going to raise myself again. That I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will never die but live forever. Paul says if, if the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is futile. It, it's, it's foolishness. We would be, we'd be most miserable of all people believing this lie. But if Jesus did raise from the dead, it means something. And it means something for you and for me. And you have to settle that. Again, because if he didn't, there's no hope. There's no salvation. All of us would be headed to hell. So the angel quotes Jesus. He says, The Son of Man must be delivered, must be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Jesus, they're quoting, from, they're quoting Jesus himself, and, and he would have this self-described title, the Son of Man, and describes his humanity. He's the Son of God, but he is the Son of Man. And in his body, he experienced the same things you and I experience. If you've been with us, most of you know, through our study through Hebrews, we talk about how he's our high priest and he, he, he sympathizes and empathizes. He knows what we're going through. Notice he uses the word must, must be delivered, be crucified, rise again. The idea is must be delivered, must be crucified, and must rise again. Must conveys uh, urgency and it conveys necessity. There's no other way. This is what needed to happen. It had to be done. This is the plan. This is how it was supposed to roll out. There's no plan B. In his humanity, Jesus prays in the garden, Father, if there's any other way. Nevertheless, as we even sang, not my will, but your will be done. And so he had to go to the cross and he had to rise again. Why did this happen? The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave. Christ is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. He gave his only begotten son that whoever, whomsoever believes upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus went through all of this for you and for me. And God wants to, for us to know him, to have a relationship with him. Again, as I look around the room, I, I know that most of you know this and have a, a very vibrant walk with the Lord. On Friday, I prayed. I said, I, I, I pray for us, Lord, that the gospel would never grow dull in our hearts or ears. Although we might have heard it many times before, may it, may it just resonate afresh and anew in our spirits. And even the message of the resurrection. But you guys know there's one big problem that stands in the way. Sin. God is perfect. God is holy. God is completely pure. And, and, and the problem is you and I aren't. We're not good. We, we are we're sinners. And sinners, it just means, sin just means the miss the mark of perfection. Some of you guys know, right? It's an it's a archery term. You shot an arrow, you threw a dart, and it didn't hit the bullseye anywhere else. It's sin. It's not perfection. And, and we miss the mark all the time. That's the bad news. 
And why would a holy God allow a sinful person into heaven? The answer is he shouldn't, and he wouldn't. Yes, God is love, and God is forgiving, and God is gracious. But the nature of God is he's also a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. He is a God of wrath. And, and we're guilty. We're guilty of sin. And under God's own rules, the penalty for sin is death. And not just physical death, but eternal separation from the Lord. And so that's the problem. That's the bad news. We have a big problem. How do we get rid of this sin? Then? Can I take it to the dry cleaners? Can I wash it? How, how? See, God can't break his own rules. And so this is what he did. He, he provided. He provided a way. He provided himself a sacrifice. He provided for everything, for us to be forgiven of our sins, released from the penalty, provided a way for you and I to be saved from our sins. That God came himself, took on a human form. We believe that a man named Jesus, born in a place called Bethlehem, who grew up in a place called Galilee, in Nazareth, who walked this earth, perfect, no sin. Arrested, tried, nailed to a cross, died, placed in a tomb, his lifeless body. And as he said, and as the scriptures declare, three days later he rises again from the dead. Proof of who he claimed to be, evidence that God had accepted that sacrifice. And because he lives, you and I can live forevermore. That's what God did for us. The requirement was satisfied. It's pretty amazing. You think about the idea of him being a substitute in two ways. He's a substitute in our life because we couldn't. He did. He's a substitute in our death. What we deserved, he took. It's the only way to make things right. Your sin and the stain of your sin was removed and removed completely. What was broken was made brand new. And this is what the empty tomb means for us. This is the reason that we gather this morning and choose on this day to celebrate this fact. Above Easter bunnies and baskets and eggs and Easter cocoa curry, if that's your thing, there's grace. <laughs> Above all those things and have those things and hat to the glory of God, color and eat your eggs. But this is what this day means for us. That Jesus Christ is alive. Your redemption has been paid. The price has been paid. And because he conquered death and lives again, guess what? We will bypass. There is no sting in death. And we will live again. No reason to be perplexed or lost in your life anymore. No reason to look for fulfillment or chase after things that the world dangles, that it's just empty and it's shallow and it's hollow. God has sent his messengers and his message for you and for me. The truth of Christ and God's plan for you, it's here right now. And if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Today, right now, you can it's a gift that God offers you. And the Bible says that if we receive that, how do we do that? It's a transaction of, of faith and words. Lord, I, I realize I'm a sinner. Or maybe for some of you, it's coming back to this. You already know this. <laughs> the message where the angels say, you've heard this, you remember this? Maybe that's you. I don't know. The Lord is gracious. He's always willing to receive us. And so if you believe by faith that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again, the Bible says we'll be saved. And not just empty words. You have to mean it. We realize I'm a sinner. Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. I'm going to turn from my sin. Lord, I, I don't want that life anymore. 
The Bible uses this word repentance. You just do a U-turn. I wanted this, I thought this, but you know what, now I realize, nope, I, I need the Lord. God, God's calling me. And then you receive Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior. Again, you can do that. This morning, we're going we're gonna to close in a time of worship. And as we're worshiping, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an opportunity, just as an act of faith, to pray, to receive. Maybe for some of you, just to, maybe you just want to get right with the Lord. Something's going on in your life. You, you already know Jesus, and yet just the Lord's been speaking to you. And so uh, we've invited some of our um, church family members. So the Matsudas, who are Japanese speaking, will be here um, to my left, and they'll be available for prayer. And then the Hudsons, you guys good, John? Will be available here to the right. And, and I just want to invite you, be bold. As we're worshiping, as uh, the team is leading us, just get up. You can get up and come forward and, and just be prayed for. You want to receive the Lord today? You just want to receive prayer today? These guys would be honored just to pray with you and love on you in the name of Jesus, okay? All right, let me pray and then we'll have the team come up. Father, we thank you so much. You're so good. Thank you for this day, a very special day. We get to remember through your word what happened that morning. Surprising, shocking in such a great way. It's good news. It's good news. You died for us, yes, but that's not the end of the story. You, you rose again. And because you live, Lord, we can live. Lord, I, I pray for anybody here this morning who has yet to really surrender their heart to you, really give their life to you. Lord, we know it's not, it's not really just the words we say. It, it's that our words would reflect the true posture of our heart, not necessarily the posture we take or the position we take, but, but from our hearts that we would say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for me, for my sins. And Lord, I, I turn from them today. I turn from my sins. And help me then to figuratively open the door of my heart to you, Lord. To confess and profess that you are my Savior and I want to know you as my Lord. You've called us your friends. And so even right now, Lord, we, we turn from our sins. We confess you, receive you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving us, Lord. We pray and ask these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen.